Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Bhutang Tamang Sankang Namasami It's really lovely to see so many people here and have the room filled. It seems like a long time since, well, probably since our opening, actually, that there's been a kind of real sense of the, the uh, Vihara filling up. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. And it's also very, very heartening to hear people you know, taking the refugees and precepts. And, and I often mention in talks how important the, the five precepts are as a, um, a framework within which to live. And uh, just before, we've just been on retreat for the month of March, and uh, just before the retreat started, Mindy gave each of us a card. And on my card was written something like, In this maze of human life, we need the light of wisdom and the guidance of virtue. And that I felt like, gosh, that almost encapsulate, encapsulates the whole of the Buddha's teachings in those three lines. <laughs> and so I've uh, been contemplating that. Um, you know, this, this maze of human life. Certainly the, you know, the mind itself can be very treacherous territory. And I think it, it wasn't really until I, I started to meditate that I recognized so clearly how treacherous the mind can be. And if we're not really paying attention or you know, bringing our awareness to our states of mind, then we're simply like, like slaves, really, to our, our mind states and moods. And... Uh, I think for most people, the the mood of the mind isn't isn't only a cerebral experience, but it's also kind of a somatic experience. It's, it's, uh, the moods are also experienced in the body, and it can be very difficult to stay present with, um, you know, with agitation or fear, anger, desire. These these experiences. So our, our meditation practice can help to, first of all, bring clear attention to what is going on in the mind, in this citta, in the mind at this time, at this moment. And also in, in staying present with whatever is, has arisen in the mind, we develop a, a certain strength and endurance, perseverance, that can stay steady with challenging conditions. And uh, I know, uh, you know everyone, I'm sure, actually, experiences a sense of self-doubt or uh, self-aversion at times. 
So when things are going going swimmingly, you know, when things are all going nicely and it's a beautiful day and you're with your friends and you haven't done any terribly foolish things, <laughs> you know, you can just you can just enjoy life and you know, not have to worry about anything. You can just you know, the, even the sense of self might not be very strong. You just kind of cruise along and life's great. So that's lovely when those those times open up. But also there are the times when we're, you know, when we feel, oh no, I really wish I hadn't said that, or I really should have done that better. And we're left with a sense of, um, kind of a, a painful or uncomfortable sense of self. So the instinctual reaction to that is to try and get away from it, to try and find something that will distract us from that, or a pleasant feeling that will override that feeling. But in the, the practice of awakening, actually, we're invited to turn attention back and really meet that feeling with a sense of clear, open awareness. And to stay present with the you know, the, the painful feeling of, of uh, whatever it might be that the mind is telling us at that moment. You're not good enough, or you really should have learnt that by now. <laughs> or, um, or it might be coming from the other direction, you might feel like, you know, I'm really too good for this, I really shouldn't be in this situation. I'm really too good to be with these kind of people. You know, it's, it's all, all of these things. It's a sense of, of self. And that sense of self is in, is in itself a, a, a delusion. And it causes us suffering. You know. So, you know, the mind... One of the first um, things that first the first quote I think I overheard of Ajahn Sumedho before I visited Amravati Monastery um, was somebody telling me that, that uh, Ajahn Sumedho was saying, "Don't believe your mind; it weaves webs of illusion." And when I heard that, I thought, "Oh my God! You know, how can you, you know if you can't believe your mind, then what is there?" You know. It's quite frightening, actually, to have to hear that. If I can't even believe my mind, then you know where where is the reference point? And so I, you know, that was something I would look into as as I sort of ventured into the practice. And you know, certainly, it can be a very frightening perception or thought of of uh, not being able to believe one's own mind. But it's true, you know, the mind throws up all kinds of nonsense that's, that is conditioned, that things that we've learned from when we were children or, or repercussions of, of um, traumatic events that have happened, you know, even when we were tiny, that we, we have no memory of. These all condition the mind and our sense of self. And in bringing awareness to the the mind states that arise with compassion, 
and patience and openness. And there's a chance to, to begin to understand the, the makeup of this particular character. We've all got a different one. We've, we've all, we all have our different characters and yet, you know, we are all very much the same, you know. We're all human, we all experience um, joy at being with people or situations that we like, sorrow when we're, when we're parted from someone we love. <coughs> and we all seek happiness and want to get away from unhappiness or suffering. It's, this, is, this is our common humanity. But it, most of the time, you know, without, without wisdom, let's say, I shouldn't say most of the time, but without wisdom, our response to uh, a, a painful situation is to try and move away from that and towards a pleasant situation. And it can be that that's the right thing to do. You know, certainly, if one is in an abusive situation, it isn't. It isn't skillful to stay in that. But the you know there needs to be wisdom operating. So it is very important to develop the the strength of mind that can that can bear with difficult conditions. And the the guidance of virtue. Now this is um, this is very important because left to our own devices. Well, I'll speak for myself. When I was left to my own devices, <laughs> I didn't really follow the the, the uh, guidance of virtue. You know, I followed my really inclinations to avoid suffering and to avoid being fully present. Actually, life was experienced as painful. The sense of self was very unpleasant and it was much nicer on a short term to find something to take the edge off that. So that's what I did for some years. Find something to take the edge off different things, different times. And certainly nothing that, that left me with a, um, a better sense of self or a happier situation. So fortunately, the you know the Dhamma was uh, I stumbled across the Dhamma by my good fortune, and and then the Dhamma says, stay with it, you know, turn towards suffering, embrace suffering, get to know the nature of suffering. Why does it arise? Notice that it that it ceases and live in a way that's skillful so that you're not creating more suffering than, than will naturally arise in, in a person's life. We, you know, it's, we will get sick, our bodies will get sick, you know. we will at some point die. This is how it's meant to be, this is the nature of things. This is perfect actually. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very pragmatic teaching in some ways. And I've also um, been, it's like an ongoing exploration for me really in, in the practice to, 
to try to understand and integrate the you know, the Buddha speaks in the, again and again about the ultimate and the conventional. So he's you know he he has the ultimate right view and conventional right view, for example, and you know they they differ. And you know, ultimately, what he's pointing to is that everything is empty. Everything is empty of self. Everything is empty of inherent existence. There is nothing, you know, in this world that is that is really, that, including this world, that is inherently real. So this is this is part of what he's this is what he's pointing to. And at the same time, he's saying live within the five precepts you know. don't intentionally don't intentionally harm any living being don't take what does not belong to you act towards others in a, in a way that's respectful use honest speech and you know, keep the mind clear so he's not saying everything is empty and everything is impermanent so nothing matters He's saying everything is empty and impermanent and everything matters. <laughs> At least that's what it appears to me. And uh, you know, this is a, a very beautiful teaching. And then we have teachings that are pointing only to the ultimate. And you know, they become increasingly popular, the, the Advaita teachings. Um, and some Advaita teachers will, will you know, say, I, I went, actually visited one in India when I was there some years ago, and this teacher would say, you know, there is no, because there is no self, then there is no karma. Because there is no doer, then there is no results to your actions. And I thought, well, this sounds like an exposition on wrong view to me. <laughs> And uh, I noticed he had, he had um, mostly Western followers who, who all looked a little confused and devoted. And, and uh, I could see yeah, it's a very attractive teaching if you don't want to have to be responsible for your actions. There is no self, therefore do what you like. You know, it doesn't matter. You can you know, exploit anybody you like because there is no one anyway, so it doesn't matter. So this is not what the Buddha was teaching. He was he was saying, there is no self. All conditions are are impermanent and empty of self, and you know there are sentient beings, and you know we must well not must but you know be be present with this, be fully present with the the. The painful experience, actually, of being sentient. It is painful. So this is for me like an ongoing exploration, and uh, it's you know, the Buddha points to the middle way. He's not taking a position on either of those. He's holding both simultaneously.
and you know at this time it seems to me I mean we're in a an extraordinary time in history where I mean, I'm sure you hear about it all the time. You know, where we, you know, who knows whether the next generation will will grow up? Who knows whether whether any of any if anyone here has children, whether they will have grandchildren, or if if you already have grandchildren, whether they will have children? You know, whether they, whether the, actually this planet is going to survive long enough, or whether our whether the ecosystem can support this human race for long enough. For that, for those generations to come, and this is something in you know in, in times past it has been taken for granted. You know we know that we will die. You know that our parents will die. That our children will die. That our house will one day break down. You know we we know those things, but until recently we haven't really. Had a sense. Of, there's always been a sense of yes, but then there'll be the next, you know, and then there'll be another one, and then there'll. And now we're meeting a time when that's kind of more uncertain than it's ever been. So, what feels important to me is to keep developing this sense of the ability to turn towards what is happening now and to, to be really present with whatever arises in this body and mind and also to turn towards you know, some of the things that are happening in the world you know it's like I kind of invite you really like dare to turn towards what is actually something don't have to take it all in and feel totally overwhelmed but dare to turn towards some some of the things that are happening in the world at this time and see what you know really touches you see what there will be different things that touch different people and allow yourself to open to that and see what happens so you know I can say that for myself this is quite a kind of a little bit frightening actually and particularly with the sense of you know I'm an arms mendicant, so even when I even if I if I look at what's going on, you know what can I do about it? This sense of um, powerlessness, I suppose, which I think many people experience when you actually really look. <laughs> sense of powerlessness and, and what can I do? So uh, you know it might be that that there's very little that we can do that any of us can do. But at least we can be honest enough to look. So it's kind of, a, I think I'm making like an invitation really to everyone and to myself to, and I don't mean to get totally overwhelmed and depressed and feel like it's all hopeless and you can't cope. You know, this isn't what I'm encouraging, and that's why it's important to develop a sense of strength of mind. But to to turn towards what is happening and to and just see what what comes to see what comes and and be present and be informed by that so i noticed for myself i mean i think it's different things for different people but for myself 
each time I think about the sex trade, I, I, it always, always, I, I can feel it now, I always, always move to tears, you know, when I see the, you know, the um, extent to which that exploitation is happening in our children, even children. That's really, it's very difficult. And that is going on in Buddhist countries, actually, also. And that's very, very sad. And for you, there might be, you know, when you turn towards what's going on, you might find something very different. There may be a very different um, situation that's, that's happening in the world that, that really touches your heart. So, you know, I feel that, that, that at this time it's very important to, to integrate our practice with what is actually happening <laughs> in the world. And allow that to inform us, and and you know, and all, but also appreciate what you are doing, you know, because this is a, you know, we are we're just little human beings, <laughs> and you know, we can easily feel overwhelmed, and we can also be in the habit of not actually noticing what we are doing that's that's benefiting others. So, I mean, certainly living within the five precepts is a beautiful offering to the planet, to the people we live with and to ourselves. So, you know, don't, um, don't overlook what you are doing and what you're manifesting now already. But also don't just stop there, you know, see how can, what, you know, how can I move more more fully into this practice of of emptiness and compassion so they say that the that a buddha has only two kinds of thoughts you know we have many <laughs> and many many but they say a, a buddha a fully enlightened buddha has only two kinds of thoughts thoughts on emptiness and thoughts of compassion. So that, uh, if the Buddha is holding those two aspects. So my, I suppose my encouragement is to keep moving towards that place where we are you know, understanding, like acknowledging the emptiness of all things, that everything, everything in this universe is in a state of flux. And there are sentient beings who experience suffering and we are sentient beings who experience suffering so the you know the buddha gave us the four noble truths as a as a path and a, and a, a means really to to free ourselves from suffering and the first step of that path is to understand suffering turn towards and understand suffering so if we don't make that first step, then we kind of don't really even get started. It's a very practical teaching that the Buddha's given us. And I can see that there is there is a danger or danger, but there is a there is a potential, let's say, for um 
for the intellect to to get hold of the Buddha's teachings and just to delight in the the amazing, brilliant, fully encompassing teachings of the Buddha, you know. because it is it is an amazing and brilliant teaching, and it does it does cover pretty much every aspect of mind. But if if our practice is you know just delighting in the teachings and we're not actually making that first step on the of the Four Noble Truths, then we're kind of wasting our time, really. It's another sense pleasure, really. And the, you know, the Buddha's teaching is too good to be wasted in that way. So... So it's very touching that you, you know, you all he you're all here and that you're you are really interested in the in the Dharma and in the practice, and this in itself is a, a beautiful offering. So I, I hope that you will continue to investigate and look deeper, and you know, dare to take those steps. You know, don't be put off if it feels uncomfortable. It's, uh, you can probably, you, know, you may well be going in the right direction <laughs> when it starts to feel uncomfortable. And keep going. It doesn't stay like that. There's also, you know, we're, we're fortunate in having there is this vihara here this, at this moment, and I'm very aware that you know, this is also impermanent. It's a rented house, and we won't be here forever. And it's, uh, but, it, but now it is providing the possibility of sangha, you know, of people to come together, get to know each other, and support each other on the, on the path. So this is also a really very precious opportunity, really. It's, it's a very important part of the practice to have good friends, spiritual friends. And it's very precious when, you know, when that opportunity arises that we can meet each other and, and find that. So there is, you know, there is a lot of great potential. And it's up to each of us to you know, keep walking this this path and keep trusting and opening and letting go and loving. So I'd like to offer this for your reflection this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.